You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a platform we've created to bring the Nordic tech community together. My name is Charlotte Roberts and I'm your host. Um, Firstly, I just want to say a massive thank you to everybody who's joining us today. Um, So we have Melanie, we've got Ruse and we've got Mark. Um, and we're going to be talking about data and diversity. Um, but before we go ahead and jump in with the questions, um, we'll just do a little run round and get everybody's introductions. Um, so Melanie, if you'd like to go first, that'd be great. Yes, sure. My name is Melanie Tillier-Stetz. I work at Tele2 as a senior data analyst. In my team, we do deep dive analysis that require advanced analytical techniques and data knowledge. So we help, for example, with pricing, with budget and forecast, with product development, with CRM activity. And we've also developed and we continuously improve uh, improve our recommendation engine. So it incorporates several machine learning models and it covers Tele2 brands and uh, products. And outside work, I'm uh, passionate about sustainability questions. So both from environmental and societal perspective and how new techniques and technology impact our world. And I think AI has a big role to play into this uh, and especially how we can make use of it uh, while respecting human nature and uh, not exploiting human biases. And I think one way to achieve that is through diversity. So it's very important question to me. So I'm very happy to be here today. Uh, and also, I hope I can contribute with some insights and bring with me some ideas. I'm uh, part uh, of uh, our Tele2 Diversity and Inclusion Council. So it's a group of employees that advises on questions around having a balanced uh, workforce and how to make Tele2 a company where everybody feels welcome and valued. So we help, for example, set goals and are supported uh, by the management team. So hopefully a good discussion uh, for for me to take part of. Yeah, definitely. You've definitely come to the right place. And I'm sure you've got plenty of insight as well to bring with you. Perfect. Thank you, Melanie, for that lovely introduction. Um, Ruse, if you'd like to go next, that'd be lovely. Yeah, that was a great introduction. I'll try to match that. So my <laughs> name is Ruse and I am in my final year of my engineering masters with uh, a main focus on machine learning and automatic control. And besides studies, I also work for a student consultancy company as an analytics manager. I know that sounds very, a lot more senior than what I am, but because it's driven, fully driven by students, you kind of climb up pretty fast. Uh, And it's really fun because it really gives me the opportunity to already learn so much about how data is used um, outside of the academic world. So it is very fun to be part of that and to actually put my knowledge into practice a bit more than what you're able to do at uni. And outside of school and work, I really have a very strong passion for inspiring other young girls to pursue a technical education. So I am part of this foundation called Women Engineer in Sweden. And we actually just started our own podcast after summer. So it's really fun to host this podcast as well, now that I've become a little bit more comfortable with recording my own voice, which is a bit strange in the beginning, but now I feel a bit more at ease with it. So I'm really looking forward to actually combining these two topics of data and diversity in this discussion. Nice. Yeah, me too. Lovely. Thank you very much for that introduction, Ruse. And Mark, um, last but certainly not least, if you'd like to introduce yourself. 
Oh God, after these introductions, I really get my work cut out for me. So uh, let's see. Hi, uh, my name is Mark and uh, I work as a, a product owner for our data lake at Canby. So we basically collect all kinds of sports betting data from uh, our internal teams and then make it available for our consumers. Uh, for instance, uh, the, uh, our version of uh, Melanie's team uh, or Ruth's team. So, uh, we basically serve the entire organization with data, mostly raw data, but then it can be refined further in the data warehouse. Uh, I, previously, I also worked with data warehouse and uh, business intelligence reporting, so I have a pretty good understanding of the whole uh, data environment from uh, from conception to usage. Uh, so yeah, that's one of my passions, and I'm also very interested in uh, diversity and inclusion questions. Uh, both in the gender uh, aspect, but I'm mostly interested in the racial and cultural aspect. As a Hungarian living in Sweden, I have both experienced some sort of discrimination uh, firsthand, but even heard a lot about a lot more secondhand. So uh, I'm looking forward to discuss uh, these questions with you guys and yeah, seeing how it goes. Definitely. Well, thank you very much, Mark, for that introduction. Well, I guess uh, we might as well go ahead and jump straight into the questions now then. Um, so, Mark, um, you submitted the first question. So if you want to introduce your question and I'll let everybody um, jump in. Uh, yes, sure. Uh, and uh, my, my question is about uh, unconscious bias in uh, data and, uh, and the different applica applications of data. Uh, of course, there can be quite conscious bias uh, when somebody uses data. Uh, so, for instance, uh, one can think about this proposed or under development facial recognition software in China uh, that tries to uh, single out the Uyghur minority or, or just single out different in individuals and then use very personal and ve uh, very discriminatory data to decide whether they're good comrades or not. So, uh, of course, uh, my questions uh, doesn't cover those parts because they are clearly evil. Uh, but what happens when somebody uses data well-intentioned and still it in introduces some kind of bias? Uh, so there was a study about some HR screening software in the US uh, where they fed data uh, seemingly not innocently, but then it turned out that the software or the AI model uh, inside the software uh, discriminated against the black applicants. Uh, and so my question is, uh, why does it happen? And uh, how can we as data leaders uh, work against it so that it doesn't happen, or at least not as often? Yeah, I think it uh, will not uh, escape to anyone working with data and machine learning that, uh, of course, if you train your model on some data, uh, it's it will impact the output you get. You get. So depending on what data you input, uh, you will you will have some bias in your output. So I think obviously it's very important to have data that is representative of the whole population and uh, especially look uh, at minorities. If they are present in your data that you should make sure you have all the subgroups and that they are well represented. I think also even though you do that, uh, the method and the algorithms you use, they will impact the outcome and uh, you have to check this outcome uh, to, make, to make sure that it, it represents uh, your population what, once again or what you want to have. And for example, you could make sure that you check the level of false positive in all subgroups and see that it's 
similar. Um, uh, and as we say, you can also have bias that come from the developers or even the pro product manager because we don't have a holistic view, I think, uh, of the world. And in that matter, I think diversity have, uh, is important. Having a diverse team, I think, would help avoid this kind of biases that you can create because you just have your own little uh, view. Um, but of course, I think even though you do all that, you would have some negative consequences and could create uh, harm. So I would say try to do a prototype and uh, see how the uh, machine learning uh, alg algorithm works and um, improve from there. And uh, also uh, be ready after launch to improve because I don't think our own little brain and even the whole team can cover everything. So, yeah. Probably not. Yeah, it's interesting. I've also um, read about some examples within HR where uh, there had been created uh, an algorithm to analyze applications and to kind of come up with uh, a factor that could describe the best candidates. And because it was a, an, an, a very technical role, most applicants were male. So what did this algorithm come up with? That gender was the most significant factor in a, in a candidate being successful or not. So this model discriminated. It was not even like a, a subconscious bias, it just tried to find the most significant factor and it came up with gender and being aware of how you're training, what your training data looks like, even if you incorporate minorities, to really be aware of what even if what the amount of data also can contribute to the results. Yeah. And I think also uh, as models today, they evolve more and more to be like black boxes. It's very important with explainability and to be able to trace why yes. you obtain a certain result uh, and to try to vary also the input you uh, you feed into your yeah. model. And of yeah. course, to look caref uh, carefully at the in data, uh, because what they found in that uh, the US study is that the problem was that uh, they didn't have extremely clean data, but they could work uh, instead with the data that was uh, gathered throughout many years by the HR professionals through manual screenings. But of course, those HR professionals were mostly discriminatory and they discriminate against Blacks, Asians, Latinos, women. And then of course, the data reflected that. So exactly. uh, the model was taught to discriminate uh, just as those other models uh, that are uh, like white blankets and they are uh, just let loose on Facebook or Twitter or, uh, or even worse, 4chan. And people find it, oh, those models develop ra uh, racist and uh, downright Nazi tendencies, of course, because mm -hmm. many of the commentators there are uh, are those kind of people or have those views. Uh, so that could also be uh, a potential problem. Uh, or what I think uh, what could also be a problem is that sometimes some jobs have requirements uh, that are uh, completely outdated, but they're still part of the screening process. Uh, so let's imagine uh, so, uh, some job that traditionally requires that, that the applicant must at least uh, be 175 tall, uh, which doesn't make any sense, or perhaps it did make sense 100 years ago, but it doesn't make uh, sense anymore. But it's still part uh, of the requirements, meaning that uh, 
of course, there are less women who are uh, 175 tall and less Asians who are 175 tall, and of course, quite few Asian women, meaning they will be underrepresented just because the requirements uh, or the traditions are uh, outdated. Yeah, even though the systems are like technology and people think that technology yes. is either right or wrong, it's still it's so subtle and it's still humans behind the process of implementing these technologies. So that's exactly. where you have to look for the for yeah, for the the mistakes that are being made. Exactly. Uh... One uh, one thing that was uh, brought up on a previous machine learning um, podcast that I hosted is is sort of we have bias in society. Um, so how can we sort of expect machine learning models not to be biased as well? I suppose that's a a difficult one as well, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I think that our machine learning models are, are like our children. Uh, so in order to teach them not to be biased, first we have to teach ourselves not to be biased, yeah. at, le uh, at least in theory, because uh, in practice, when somebody has to make very quick decisions, I mean the fraction of a second, uh, then it's very hard to uphold those standards. But if we have at least a thorough uh, theoretical understanding of how one can be not biased, uh, then those can be imparted upon the models. Yeah, I think it's important to be, uh, when you develop models, to be very interested into your users also and try to understand them and not only take your own point of view, but, uh, and if needed, take some interviews or, as I said before, I think having a diverse team uh, to help you have different opinions, then if I am biased but confront my ideas uh, against Mark's ideas, I can open up my mind and uh, remove some of the bias, uh, hopefully. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, but then, yeah, sorry. No, no, I, I think uh, trying to gather multifunctional teams and with different backgrounds, uh, both age and ethnicity, um, will uh, help actually remove some of our own bias. But of course, you have to be curious yourself uh, as a developer. Uh, yes, and it, uh, the team has to be diverse, uh, not just in one way, but in, in no. many possible ways. Uh, because uh, in your example, Melanie, uh, we could probably remove some of the bias uh, uh, just by cooperating. Uh, but we probably have several bias that are the same. Uh, and yes. that would require a third or a fourth person to remove even those. Yeah, and maybe that's why you, you cannot gather a team that is as diverse as your users. So you, you need to be in touch with your users uh, more, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Well, we'll move straight on um, to Ruse's question now then. So Ruse, if you want to give a bit of um, background behind your question, um, and then I'll let everybody um, jump in with their thoughts. Yeah, so it's uh, very closely related to Mark's question, actually, because I was kind of thinking about, okay, what question do I want to bring up, um, even though I haven't really worked uh, full-time yet. So my question is more about, um, I think it's more a question to Melanie and Mark, how they see that this happens in the companies where they work at, and then maybe also a bit of a reflection on how I see what happens at the student company that I work at. But it's with regard to tracking process progress when it comes to diversity. So how can data help companies track their progress when it comes to diversity? And are there any advantages or disadvantages in doing so? Because it's also a lot about how you frame the data, how you analyze it, how you interpret it, and how you communicate it outward 
to other people and other uh, yeah, parties that are interested in this information. So that is a bit, that is my question related to data, the more, more gathering your own data and what to do with it in order to make sure that you ensure diversity within the company. So it's a, yeah, it's a bit of an open question, like I said, and maybe there's, there is actually one aspect that I, I could take up straight away that I was thinking about regarding uh, disadvantages, because sometimes you see companies announcing uh, data, like results of, uh, uh, um, that they have tried to um, analyze what their, where their company stands with the question of diversity. And that when they say, okay, we're 50-50 when it comes to gender or, or race, but then if you break it down and look at the different departments, it might look very differently. And, and when can you be satisfied with your results and how, how to go about presenting those results? Uh, I could chime in with a story then uh, from a previous company I worked for, uh, where it was a Swedish company, uh, a very markedly Swedish company. And uh, I noticed, of course, uh, when going to the office that uh, very few people were non-Swedish. Uh, but then uh, when HR started uh, to talk about diversity and inclusion, specifically uh, cultural uh, diversity, uh, then I just approached them and told them, yeah, but it's quite hard to say anything about that because we have so few foreigners uh, at the office and <clears throat> uh, managers are not opening up to English language applicants. So uh, it's not going to work like that. And then I got a backlash that, no, 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 it's not true. We actually have 20 something percent of uh, people with foreign background. Uh, now, our listeners are perhaps not very familiar with the Swedish definition, the legal definition of somebody with a foreign background, uh, but it actually means people who are either born in a different country or are born to two non-Swedish parents or two foreign-born parents in Sweden. Uh, but that's a, that's a very diverse group because, of course, there are people like me who came here as adults. That's one group. Then there are other people who came here as children, either as adopted children or with their parents. Uh, that's a second group. And then uh, there's a third group with at least two subgroups, so those who have this foreign background and are uh, raised in the suburbs uh, who have uh, quite, uh, quite, ba uh, quite bad possibilities. Uh, but then uh, just imagine somebody who is born to an American and a Swiss parent and grown up uh, in the better part of town. Uh, but those statistics don't pay any attention to those very different groups. Exactly. And they just say, okay, those are people with foreign background and we have 25% check mark. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like yeah. it's easy when you take it that broad to just say like, oh, but we've done the work here. We're done. We don't have to focus on that anymore. But it doesn't really reflect what people will feel and experience at work. No, and I'm a bit curious how they, they measured this, actually, because I think if you would ask uh, kids or that have grown up to uh, adults that are born in Sweden from two parents that are from a foreign background, and you would ask them, do you feel more Swedish or whatever your parents are? Uh, I'm not sure what the answer would be. And I think that no. is what what matters, actually. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but what, what they do here, I mean, uh, on that note, I already feel part Swedish after nine years. So that's not about that. It's more like, uh, it's more like that uh, they have access to uh, this national uh, citizen registry and there it is registered yeah. whether you have foreign background or not because yeah. for statistical purposes and they only take that. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah. I also work at a company with only Swedish people and I 
I'm from the Netherlands, so I moved to Sweden five years ago, uh, initially just for a gap year, but I kind of stuck around. Um, and I have not really experienced, like I've always been a very Swedish group. So I haven't really experienced a lot of diversity. And even if I've met people with from different nationalities, it's mostly been from Western Europe. And I mean, there's like very large common denominators there because it's culturally quite similar, uh, especially if you meet in academic circles, people have like similar backgrounds. So even if there's many different nationalities, that doesn't really mean that there is a very large diversity of perspectives. So that is also, yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, how do you actually define diversity when it comes to nationality? Yeah, uh, mm. and sorry. No, no, uh, but related to that, because the, the thing you mentioned is that, yeah, some companies, they go out and say that we've achieved gender uh, equality, but there is so much more than that. Gender equality is like, the tip of the iceberg is the easiest to measure and what people are usually most open about. But what about uh, religion or sexual yeah. orientation and, uh, and uh, yeah, your ethnicity, your background? Uh, yeah. This is even more difficult to, uh, to measure. And uh, I think in, if you want also the people in that, I mean, you cannot, yeah, you can buy data about the, uh, the, the cultural background and ethnicity, but what about religion? I don't think you can buy this. So you need maybe to ask your employees, but that also requires that uh, you've built a culture where there is trust and credibility that mm -hmm. yeah, you, the company is gonna use this data for good and not for surveillance or... Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Because yeah. That's a, uh, that has privacy issue, that question. Yeah. And I think the privacy issues, Melanie, that is related to your question, right? Yeah. Where we come um, into a bit later on, I think. Yeah, uh, I don't know if uh, if I can jump on to that, but yeah, at uh, Tele2, so I think there is a genuine interest in having a diverse uh, workforce and uh, to include everyone. So Tele2 is working very actively and uh, the leadership team is uh, really involved. So we've tried in the past to measure other uh, diversity metrics than gender. So we have goals on gender uh, that we are following and working towards. But uh, when we try to measure other aspects, um, we realize it's more difficult. Uh, of course, you can buy some uh, information about uh, ethnical background, but that's not all. That's only a small aspect of the question. So um, we try to ask employees, but we realize that it's very sensitive. And uh, maybe in the teams where you don't feel comfortable at, as being the only non-Swede, maybe you don't answer uh, this question or people didn't really uh, like the question or understood what, what it would be used for. So uh, I was wondering if you had some uh, yeah, some ideas or uh, some uh, ways, some experience, how it has been done at uh, your company, uh, Mark, or uh, how you would do it in a student setting, Rose. Um, yeah. I think from a student perspective, the, the, the situations that I've been in, has they have always been pretty intimate, like small groups. And I think that opens up for more honesty because people might know each other a little bit better might feel a bit more comfortable with each other discussing these types of things. But um, I think that 
the bigger the group or the company, the more sensitive those topics become because then you you don't feel the same personal connection to the others in the group or in the organization. Yes, true. Uh, at my current company, uh, we don't seem to have a major problem with uh, with just the racial aspect. We're very diverse uh, culturally. Uh, when it comes to sexual minorities, we we also have several people from different LGBTQ uh, groups. Uh, what we're struggling with a bit, and that's that's the topic of my second question, is to attract more uh, more females to engineering roles. Uh, but what I wanted to say here is is that we don't just need a snapshot, for instance, how high percentage of uh, female co-workers we have or how, how racially diverse we are, because that's just one thing. But data, especially in-depth data, could be used in so many other ways. Uh, so for instance, one could look at different departments, as you mentioned in your question, Rose, or <clears throat> on different seniority levels. So okay, we have, uh, for instance, like 50% females at the company. What about middle manager roles? What about senior management? And yeah. also, uh, one, one should take a look at trends. So how did it change over the past five years? And then uh, when we go into an individual level, how did it change for different individuals? Uh, in other words, uh, how are the career advancement prospects for different uh, people? Uh, so, do, so does, for instance, uh, a Latino woman have the same career prospects within the company as a white guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the same work uh, life uh, satisfaction work life also. Uh, yeah. I think it's it's also very uh, very important to uh, not only to attract but also to retain. So you uh, people need to be happy working at your company. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and not only measuring. I think setting goals is very powerful because if you just measure, people will read it and they will not care. Yeah. Uh, yes. I think another aspect with focusing solely on data is that you kind of lose the human aspect of it, that it's mostly brains and culture and in how people interact with each other. There's always like a very big, I mean, we spend so much time at work that you have to feel at home. And that's what it comes down to when you decide whether or not to stay at a company. So if you only look at the numbers, you kind of forget the human aspect in these questions. Mm. I see them more as like a tool to improve a certain situation. Yeah, I, I agree. It helps you go your your progress, but you you need to have something else uh, to yeah. make people feel good at the company and uh, do. Uh, I think actually uh, as, uh, you need to start by creating some, uh, some credibility and trust and uh, ask your employees uh, how they feel and uh, uh, yeah, how included they they are, and uh, also some input there. It can be some small things like uh, having your payslip in Swedish, mm. and you don't speak Swedish. Uh, maybe that's frustrating you every month, uh, mm-hmm. and that sounds like something small that you maybe don't think of, but it will make the company uh, more friendly to everybody. Or yeah. the way you phrase your uh, job ad. I think that's maybe tying to your second question, Mark. But if you want to uh, have a diverse workforce, then you have to use uh, words that are neutral uh, yeah. in the job ad. Uh, yes. And maybe uh, maybe you don't have a Swedish spoken requirement unless you are, I don't know, a 
copywriter that is going to write only communications in Swedish. Exactly. I've yeah. seen job ads uh, where they required native Swedish uh, yeah. for a role that was not copywriter or similar, but more like a, a normal project manager. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that's also a very, uh, very important word choice, because if you say fluent Swedish, that's something you can attain as an adult immigrant. Uh, if you say native Swedish, that's impossible because <clears throat> it's not your native language. If you yeah, that boat has sailed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think the phrasing is super important because you even see that at engineering educations that they have now started to change some names to make it more to put the focus more on societal development compared to, for example, marine technology or something like that or uh, um, any other like. Computer science. Well, I think computer science will keep its name, but at KTH, I know that they've started to experiment with changing names of certain programs, and they saw quite some effects of the gender uh, balance when the focus was put more yeah. on the society, helping society develop, because that is what attracts women in general more than if it has this very technical name, because that is kind of a bit off-putting, especially when you're young and you don't really know what engineering is anyways, and you decide to give it a shot, then it sounds better to to choose a program where you get to help people develop. And I think that might be the same for job applications. Yeah, I think it's important to reflect uh, both aspects of the job yeah. so that they can attract equally uh, women exactly. and uh, men and uh, all kinds of uh, minorities. Uh, and I can add that uh, I've seen that uh, firsthand uh, at my Swedish alma mater, uh, the Malmö University. Uh, where we had departments not for health, technology and learning, but departments for health and society, uh, technology and society, learning and society. And it was much more uh, equal when it, uh, when it comes to men and women. Yeah. So uh, racial diversity was more of a problem uh, except for the uh, researcher roles, but, but gender equality was much more prevalent there. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I think that approach uh, works. It doesn't do the whole job, but it works definitely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the, the problem can just be in a name. Like, that seems yeah. too easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that we also have to be uh, realistic. I think uh, in there are some occupations where, yeah, you, you don't have on the job market uh, an, an equal amount of men or women or certain minorities. So it it will be difficult in some cases to achieve uh, equality. So that's another aspect. I think yeah. uh, we're living in a much more global world, so it's it's easier, of course, than maybe 40 years ago. But still, uh, there are some occupations, I think, that are from like an education perspective not uh, equal. So it has to start uh, there. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, you have to know and understand the trends, uh, yeah, and the realities. Because, uh, for instance, if for for such a role as you mentioned, there are fifty percent female applicants, then having thirty percent females uh, in those roles at the company is a pretty bad result. But if yes. there are just twenty percent females on the market for different reasons that could also harken back to discrimination or inequality, but for any reason there are just twenty percent, then having thirty percent women in those roles is a pretty good result for the company. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. You cannot recruit more if they if there are not more people in the group that you want to attract. But that should never be an excuse to to not try. 
yeah, think. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think also you once you have attracted those uh, women that you should check that you retain them in the same extent than men, because if you don't allow, uh, I don't know, flexibility or uh, women feel uh, harassed, uh, mm. you will not retain them. And you might recruit 50% of women and 50% of uh, men. But yeah. after one point, if you don't keep the women as much as the men, you will create an unbalance yeah. uh, anyhow. I'm soon finished in university. And I think that the past five years I have been in like social groups with people my age where everyone thinks pretty similarly. So I have never really had big issues with studying engineering and being only like 20% girls in my class. But I recently I've started to think about, okay, what would it be like when I'm done? And when you have to, when you start working and you come into groups where people are in a much broader age range and where you maybe, where I maybe might start to feel the the difference between being like a junior engineer straight out of university and working with many male colleagues. I Right now I'm in the process of finding a master thesis, a company to do my master thesis at. And one of the companies that I'm most interesting at about, they um, presented all their employees on their website and there wasn't a single girl on there. And I was like, okay. Oh. Do I really want to go here? But I was like, okay, you know what? Let's just do it. And I sent them an email and they replied to me within an hour and, and booked in a meeting. I was like, okay, I wonder why. But yeah, it's, it's something, it's going to be, it feels like it's going to be more and more real now for me personally. So sometimes I can feel a bit like, oh, not nervous, but the thoughts are starting to come up more and more now. Uh, and besides, there has to be a first one. Uh, exactly. so you could also look at it as a sort of a pioneering uh, yeah. assignment that you could attract more girls and exactly. also yeah. uh, teach those guys how to uh, how to treat you uh, in the right yeah. way. Yeah, I'm kind of excited for it actually. I think it's a, a pretty cool challenge um, and I'm interested in what they do. And I think that that's most important for me to not decide where I want to work based on the, how balanced it is regarding gender but more okay what am i interested in doing and if it is at this company then okay i might have to be the first one there that's okay yeah. like you say and everyone needs need, to start somewhere yeah maybe we need more people uh, like you that uh, push for their dreams because i mean we have to admit it the like your comfort zone it's to uh, want to work uh, with people that are more or less like you it's like yeah. the easiest to do and if you're pressured by time or you have or it's difficult uh, to find employees, you will most likely turn to what is most most like you. Uh, so uh, so we need people that push themselves forward, uh, I yeah. think also. And that's hard because on the one hand, you want to be that person. You want to show others that everyone yeah. can do it, but it shouldn't come at the cost of your own like comfort or happiness. So yeah. it's a fine line, I think. Whether or whether it's within gender or race, I think that's the same that goes both ways. Yeah, yeah and that's where you realize if the company you uh, you want to work for really makes the effort, or if it's just on the surface to look yeah. good and attractive as an employer. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're all humans, we're all fallible, and uh, don't know everything. So in the end, I think it all comes down to whether they want to learn or not. Yeah, and that you I can agree. only deduce uh, if you go there and see for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Go ahead. 
great. It seemed like a really good discussion there then. Um, so, yeah, well, I suppose we've, uh, we definitely touched on um, Mark's final question there. Um, so what I'll do then, unless anybody else has any other points that they wanted to, um, to touch on just before we go ahead and end the podcast. I'll go ahead. No. I'll go ahead and close the stop the recording there then. Well, thank you very much for everyone for joining me today. And thank you for everyone who's still listening.